In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Last week in the series about the Orthodox afterlife, we had uh, spoken about this battle that was happening um, after death um, and after the soul um, is, is going through what was called the crossover realm and carried by the angels. Um, and then there was this, um, this battle, this conflict that happened between the angels of the demons over the soul of the person. And the person that we're calling Mr. Yu, who's recounting the story of this death experience that happened to him, he said that when he called out for help and he called out um, the names of the saints of St. Mary, that he was rescued and saved from this attack that was happening on him. Um, today we're going to speak um, about Hades and what do we know about Hades, which is not the most pleasant subject, but God willing, um, after this as well, um, next time we'll speak about paradise um, the in, in Acts chapter 2, uh, we, we say, For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. This is from the Psalms. Um, this is our hope and our expectation from the Lord, that we as uh, those who are believers, that the Lord will rescue us and save us by his mercy from such a place. So we ask the question, what is Hades? The term Hades is used to refer to this temporary place where people are reserved for judgment. St. Hippolytus, he says, Hades is the place in which all souls are detained until the time that God has determined. Also, St. Justin Martyr, he says, we affirm that the souls of the wicked are endowed with sensation even after death. So the idea that a soul, as we have discussed, after death, the spirit remains conscious and alive and aware after death. Um, and that God has created this place, that it's called Hades, uh, for the detaining of the souls that are, that are going to be judged um, prior to being cast into hell. This is what Hades is. So Hades is a temporary place. Paradise is also a temporary place, right? We have paradise, and then we have the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so paradise is also a temporary place where the souls of those who are righteous are waiting until they will inherit the kingdom of heaven afterward. Uh, the punishment for those who are being that will be judged to go to hell are uh, is beginning in Hades and it continues in hell after the second coming of Christ. We believe that God is a fair judge, right? And so, the way that God dispenses justice, the way that God judges the actions of each one, is according to God's fairness. We know, for instance, that God is love in First John four eight. While at the same time, he is a just judge. He is both uh, loving and just at the same time. He is both merciful and just at the same time. We very easily, as human beings, when we try to find a balance between two things, it's very easy for us to fall on one side or the other. For instance, it's very easy for us to fall on the side of excusing sin, or it's very easy to fall on the side of being too harsh and not being merciful enough. God is the perfect balance in between. We pray in Psalm 101, I will sing of mercy and justice to you, O Lord. I will sing praises. This is why no one can um, question the judgment of God, because God's judgment is perfect. Also, the, the judgment of God is based on factors that maybe are hidden to us as human beings. You know, we can look at a person and we can say, oh, this is a good person. Or we can look at a person and say, this is not a good person. Well, on based on what are we deciding if a person is good or not good or whatnot, it is, it is actually very superficial. 
our judgment as human beings. We do not know the intentions of the heart. We don't know the experience. We don't know the, 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 the attempts and the trials for someone to um, do the right thing, even though maybe they are failing. God looks at all of these things together and he makes a judgment, right? And so in the end, God is the fair judge. God is the only fair judge. God is the only one who can really look at a person and make this judgment about them. We know about God that he has no desire to send people to Hades. He has no desire. In Ezekiel 18, it says, Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? Yet you say the way of the Lord is not fair. Here now is not my way which is fair and your ways which are not fair. God is, is defending himself. He is saying, I am the one who is fair. You are the ones who are not fair. I have no desire to see the death of a sinner, but rather that he turn from his way and live. God is the one who knows the hearts, and God is the only one who can judge. God also is very quick to accept the repentance of a sinner. In Ezekiel 18, it says, If a wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed, keeps all my statutes, and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. Right? Someone who is turning. Someone who is correcting himself. God will accept him. He is not going to look at the magnitude of the sins that we have committed in the past, those who we have turned away from and repented, and say, no, because you committed these things 10 years ago, 5 years ago, or whatever it was, then I am I'm not going to allow you to inherit the kingdom. Right? Instead, he says, all the sins he says that you have repented of, he says, what? I remember them no more. It is as though they are not even in his mind. His judgment is not based on those. His judgment is not based on what we have repented of, but of what we continue in. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him. Because of the righteousness which he has done, he shall live. But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered because of the unfaithfulness of which he is guilty and the sin which he has committed because of them he shall die. Similarly, if a person used to in their life do many good deeds and good works and believed in God, but then later on changed that they are no longer living a life like this, they are no longer choosing God, they are no longer repenting, then God again will look at their status at the point of life where they are taken, you know, the, the, the one who wins is the one who perseveres to the end, right? The scripture says, he who endures to the end will be saved. Meaning it is not the one, it is not how we begin that matters, it is how we end. If you have a race, who is it that is declared the winner of the race? It's not the one who runs really well at the beginning. It is the one who is able to get to the finish line first, right? That is the winner. The way that we are in our life at the moment that God takes our spirit this is in the status that we will be judged. This is why it is important for us as Christians to be very watchful, to be very careful, so that we do not fall into sin, right? So that we do not become complacent and think that none of these things can happen to us. The moment that I believe that I am in no, uh, that I have no fear of this, of, of Hades, of what we're speaking about, this is maybe when we become too complacent. This is when we begin to feel there is no accountability for me, that no matter what I do, I will have salvation, right? So we are not called to live in terror of Hades. We're not called to live in terror of the, of the judgment of God, but we are called to be aware of it. We are called to keep it in mind. We are called to be 
careful in the way that we live our life without being in terror. Terror actually doesn't cause us to make good decisions. Terror also causes us to make poor decisions, but God wants us to be watchful and aware of, of, of the reality of what, what is around us. In the end, our eternal destination is our own choice. You know, we speak about God is the one who cast the person here. God is the one who chose this. God is the one who judged. But in the end, it's really my choice, right? Um, Saint Arrhenius, he says, he makes the point that one cannot blame God when they have decided to turn away from him and have their own, by their own choice, deliver themselves to darkness. In the end, God is just in the sense that he will not take a person who is struggling and trying and doing the best they can and partaking of the sacraments and is a believer in the church and cast that person into darkness because that person is choosing to try. Another person might choose not to try. Another person might choose to, to reject God, to abandon God, to live away from God. So in the end, the decision is whose? Is it really the decision of God or is it the decision of us as human beings? It would be as if a person who shut themselves in a dark room were to blame the sun for the lack of light. Right? A person who shuts himself in a dark room, it is his choice. I choose to go into that room and I choose to close the door on myself. And the fact that I am in darkness, right? I do not see the light. This is not the fault of the sun. This is my fault. I'm the one who chose to be here. This is why we have to be very mindful of our choices, right? We are, we are in control of this. This is not, God is not capricious. God is not arbitrary. God does not just decide to choose, okay, some people I choose for this and some people I choose for that. He leaves it up to each one. This is why free will is so important in the faith because he gives us the choice. He says, this is how we should not be afraid of this when we have decided to choose what is, what is good, to choose what is right. This does not mean that we do not sin. This does not mean that we do not fail or that by our weakness we are not able to achieve what we are trying to do. But it does mean that we are mindful of our life, of our choices, of our actions, and we repent when we fall. What about the question of eternal punishment? Some people might say, isn't it unfair of God who is judging us for sins that we committed in our life, which is for a temporary amount of time, but the consequence of those sins and this lifestyle that we chose to live in this temporary amount of time is an eternal punishment, okay? What does St. John Chrysostom say about this? He says, say not unto me, where is the rule of justice preserved entire if the punishment has no end? Rather, when God does anything, obey his decisions and submit not what is said to human reasoning. But moreover, how can it be anything else than just for one who has experienced innumerable blessings from the beginning and then committed, committed deeds worthy of punishment and neither by threat nor benefit improved at all to suffer punishment. For if you inquire what is absolute justice, it was meet that we should have perished immediately from the beginning according to the definition of strict justice. So what is he saying? He's saying if God was just completely just, only, strictly, without mercy, then what would have happened to us? From the very beginning, he would have condemned us because each of us has committed sin. So if, 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 if God were simply a judge and all he did was judge and he judged the sins of the people, then from the moment that we are born and when we begin to commit acts of sin, he could have said, what, I judge you and condemn you for what you have done. But God is not doing that because God, again, he, he, wants, he wants us to live. He has patience with us 
that we would repent and that we would turn. And actually it is through the incarnation and the salvation that he offered us that we are able to be forgiven. So God has done innumerable works, innumerable things to save us from this destruction, right? Because again, Hades is not a place that he wants us to go. Similarly, the blessings that God is offering are eternal blessings, right? Again, if you look at it from the flip side, why is it that God would grant us an eternity of joy even for just the good works that we've done for a temporary time? The same argument, but flipped. Again, we are not deserving of the eternal joy and the eternal bliss that, we, that is waiting for us in heaven and in paradise, and yet God offers it to us. Right? So just as God is offering an eternity of joy on the one hand, there is an eternity of condemnation on the other. There is nothing in between. St. Saint Isaac the Syrian, he says, In the future separation, there will be no middle realm between the state that is completely on high and the state that is absolutely below. A person will either belong entirely to those who dwell on high or entirely to those below. For to escape Gehenna means precisely to enter the kingdom, even as falling away from the kingdom as entering Gehenna. Scripture has taught us nothing about the existence of three realms, but when the Son of God will come in his glory, he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. So to answer the question, is there a third place? There is no third place. Okay, This is just the two places, either paradise or Hades. Also, the church fathers speak about the idea of repentance after death and that there is no repentance after death. St. John Chrysostom, he says, When we depart to that place, we have no longer the option of repentance nor of washing away our misdeeds. St. Cyprian says, The grief at punishment will then be without the fruit of repentance, weeping will be useless, and prayer ineffectual. When once you have departed this life, there is no longer any place for repentance, no way of making satisfaction. Here life is either lost or kept. Also St. Basil, he says, when life is over, there is no longer any opportunity for the improving of piety. So it makes it very clear that in what on, based on what will God judge us, he will judge us based on our life, our life on earth. This is the, the, how God will judge, not based on anything that happens later. And if you think about it, let's say someone chose to live a life that is wicked, okay? A life of not believing in God, okay? When that person dies and immediately realizes the reality that there is a God, there is an afterlife, there is such a thing as angels and demons and so on, everyone would repent. Every, everyone would, would say, you know, I'm sorry for the things that I did in my life. Why? Because they, they, they realize, they see it with their eyes. But this is why the Lord wants us to believe this by faith and not through sight, not through evidence. If God wanted through evidence to prove to us his existence and the existence of the afterlife, he could easily do so. But he doesn't do so. He, he says, what, you have the scripture, you have the word of God, you have the evidence that I have given you, now it is up to you to take that, to believe it, and to live it, right? And based on this is your life. Another important aspect um, regarding those who have passed is the prayer for the departed. And many people ask this question, what is the benefit of praying for the departed? Why did the early Christians and all the apostolic churches pray for those who depart? Okay, Some think that this practice has no biblical support, but actually even when you look at the Apostle Paul, when he was writing 
um, in the, in, to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1. He was speaking about um, a disciple whose name was Onesiphorus, uh, on, uh, on, okay? And this man had died. And, and St. Paul says about him, the Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. In that day is referring to the judgment day. So St. Paul is actually saying a prayer, okay, on behalf of this man, Onesiphorus, who had already died. So this is the prayer of the departed. When, we, when someone dies, we pray for them in the liturgy, and we ask God to repose their soul. We ask God to forgive them their sins. We ask God to give them comfort, right? And this is exactly what St. Paul did here. The early church practiced this. St. Cyril of Jerusalem, he says, We make mention of those who have already fallen asleep, for we believe that it will be of benefit to the souls of those for whom the petition is carried up, hoping that God would grant a remission of their penalties. Like God is going to grant them some kind of ease, some kind of benefit, that God is going to hear the prayers of those who are, who are offering prayers on their behalf, and God is going to take an action for the benefit of this soul who has departed. But it doesn't mean that when we pray for someone who has departed, that God is going to change his judgment for them. Okay? St. Epiphanius, he says this, Useful is the prayer fashioned on their behalf, even if it does not force back the whole of guilty charges laid to them. And it is useful also because in this world we often stumble, either voluntarily or involuntarily, and thus it is a reminder to do better. So the prayers that we offer on behalf of those who have departed has some kind of benefit, but it doesn't mean that God is going to ultimately change his judgment. It, do it doesn't mean that we can pray for someone who lived their life in sin without repentance and that God is going to change their life and, and change the judgment on them, or vice versa, right? There's, there's, there's no way. His Holiness Pope Shenouda, he said the following, We pray for the departed so that he could at least depart from the world having been absolved by the church, so that he is no longer bound in any way. That person is then left to the mercy of the one who searches men's hearts and the one who knows all secrets. It is as if the church is saying to God, this person has been released from our side by the authority to loose and bind which you gave us. And so we leave him now to your mercy and to your knowledge which is beyond ours. From the perspective of the church, we have absolved his sins but we leave it up to God who is the ultimate judge to judge according to his wisdom and knowledge and understanding. But it, from, from our side, it's like we have released him to God and we put him in the care of God. Also, the prayer of the departed is beyond time. Okay, God hears the prayers not in, in, in a linear way. Okay, Isaiah 65, 24, it says, It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are still speaking, I will hear. God is answering before the prayer, which maybe is hard for us to understand or to, to, to kind of think that way. The prayers that are offered to a person, for, for a person, after they have departed, God can answer those prayers even before the person departed, right? Let's say, you know, we... You know, after a person departs, we offer these fervent prayers on their behalf for God to have mercy on them, for God to accept him, and so on. God, knowing that we are going to pray these prayers, he can answer those prayers even before the person departs. How exactly and when, I don't know. 
But this is what we believe. But this is what Isaiah 65, 24 is saying. It shall come to pass that before they call or before they, before they pray, I will answer. Because God knows our hearts and knows our desires, even if we don't articulate it. Also, we believe that the prayer of the departed brings comfort to those who have departed. And uh, here's uh, one of the sayings of St. Macarius the Great. We know this is a story about him. He says, walking in the desert one day, I found the skull of a dead man lying on the ground. This is St. Macarius speaking. As I was moving it with a stick, the skull spoke to me. I said to it, who are you? The skull replied, I was a high priest of the idols and of the pagans who dwelt in this place. But you are Macarius, the spirit bearer. Whenever you take pity on those who are in torments and pray for them, they feel a little respite. It is like even those people who are being tormented, when someone prays for them, then even there, there, God gives a little bit comfort, a little bit of rest to those people. It shows us the power of prayer. It shows us how much God honors the prayer of the faithful that we offer on, up on behalf of those who have departed. The prayer of the departed is, always, is, al is also a sign of fellowship. As I said before, in our mind, we, we make this kind of strict barrier between the living and the dead. We think that we are living and they are dead, right? We are alive. We can move. We can talk. We can communicate. We, we are aware. But they are dead in the sense that they are unconscious. They are, they are not active. They are not working. They are not alive, right? But this is a wrong distinction. They are alive and more alive than us. They will look at us, and from their perspective, we will be dead. Okay? They are more alive than we are. So you have the church is comprised of not only the human beings who are alive on the earth, but also those who are alive in paradise. Okay? So when we are praying for them, it's like we are praying for one another. You know, why is it that we pray for one another? We believe that God is going to benefit a person through our prayers. When I pray for you, believe that God is going to do something good in your life as a result of the prayers. That's why we pray for one another. The same is true even for those humans who have passed on and gone to paradise or gone to heaven. So that's why we make mention of departed saints um, such as St. Mary, St. John the Baptist, imploring God for mercy on their behalf, but as a pronouncement, I'm um, oh sorry, not to implore God's mercy on their behalf, but as a pronouncement of our love and affection for them. So when we are praying for St. Mary, for St. John the Baptist, or we are asking for their prayers, right? It is a, a bond of love and fellowship in the church. No different than when we pray for one another's. Such prayers align with the Orthodox view of the church as consisting of all of its members, whether crossed over to the next life or remain striving in this one. It, it, it doesn't matter. Whether we are here or there, we pray for one another as one ch church. Also, the prayer of the departed is expressing joy for the departed. Mother Irini, in a conversation with a previously departed nun, like a nun who had experienced death and came back. Her name was Mother Martha. She learned something about what it means to pray for the departed. Mother Martha asked her after she came back from the dead, why do you not hold liturgies for me? the practice of providing the name of the departed to be remembered during the liturgy. Or actually, I think she didn't come back from the dead. I think she just appeared to, to, to Mother Irini, and she's having this conversation with her. So she's saying, why do you not pray for me in the liturgy? Okay. Mother Irini asked her what she should gain from such prayers. 
Mother Martha responded, I won't be given any benefit because everyone will be given according to his or her work. But when I feel that you are thinking about me and praying for me, I come among you during the liturgy and feel happy. I love being among you and seeing you. And as I pray for you, I like to feel that you remember me in your prayers. It's, it's, it's like it's a real person. Just like whenever I know that someone is thinking about me, praying about me, caring about me, it makes me happy. I, I feel like loved, right? The same is true even for those people who have departed. When we pray for them, they feel, um, they feel loved through our prayers. What about the experience of Hades? What is it that we know from Scripture and from the, from the church fathers about the experience of Hades? In Matthew 13, it says, The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So this phrase, um, there's, there's, it's a fiery furnace. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. It gives us a sense of the type of agony that people will experience there in their separation from God. It has been described as a dark, dim environment where they encounter grotesque people who, who may be lurking in the shadows or along a burning lake of fire. This is from accounts that people have said who have had these death experiences and, and this is what they have seen. And so we ask the question, why does God show us this? Like, why does God describe it? Why does God tell it to us? Why does he allow some people to experience it and come back and to tell us? The same reason that he allows those to see paradise. You know, when, when, when we hear about the story of someone who has experienced paradise, we are, we are overjoyed by it. We, we feel like this is a place I want to go. We are joyful that this is a place that I should expect to be, God willing, one day. And similarly, when we see these examples of those who have experienced Hades and what is there, it's frightening. And it should, again, make us feel like this is definitely a place I don't want to be. So whether it is through like a positive reinforcement or a negative reinforcement, in the end, in both ways, God is revealing this to us to help lead us to repentance. According to 6th century Roman Archbishop Gregory the Great, the purpose is to deter sinners from continuing in their sinful ways. So this is what he says. In his unbounded mercy, the good God allows some souls to return to their body shortly after death so that the sight of hell might at last teach them to fear the eternal punishments in which words alone could not make them believe. We said earlier that this man, Mr. Yu, who has been recounting his story throughout this book, that after he had this experience, he became a monk. Okay? And why did he? Because he could not continue to live the life that he had, being distracted by so many things in the world, now having experienced this, there was only one thing he cared about, only one thing that was important. We asked God to open our spiritual eyes so that we can see the world life in this way, to, to realize that the world we are living is not the real world. This is not the real world. This is, not, this is a temporary place that will be destroyed. This is not the true existence. And if we were to see the true existence, Maybe our decisions and our choices would be very, very different, how we choose to spend our time from day to day. So these experiences that these certain people had who came back to tell us should encourage and motivate us to live life in repentance and to live life in a focused way. 
A certain Spanish hermit by the name of Peter, he died and saw hell with all its torments and countless pools of fire. And this is what Gregory the Great says. On returning to life, Peter described what he had seen. But even had he kept silent, his penitential fasts and night watches would have been eloquent witnesses to his terrifying visit to hell and his deep fear of its dreadful torments. God had shown himself most merciful by not allowing him to die in this experience with death. Like saying, even if you looked at the reaction of this man who saw these visions and saw this, that, 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 you know, when he died and what he saw, that, that in itself is a testament to what he saw the way he chose to change his life, the way he chose to live afterward. Um, there was a, a young man whose name was Habib Farag, and, um, and, and he had this experience. St. Mary, this is, a, this is a recounting of a person who knew him. St. Mary took him by the hand to Hades. It appeared as an open cliff filled with fire. The damned there were weeping and wailing. He could not stand to be in that place any longer and became very distressed. So he begged St. Mary to be taken away from there. He was told to make the sign of the cross, and then he found himself taken away from that dreaded place. So we see a lot of examples of people that have had this experience, church fathers that have spoken about it, or verses from the Bible that attest to it. I, I don't like talking a lot about it. Um, because I don't want people to be f living in dread because of this. Because that's not the goal of this. The goal is not to live in dread. The goal is to be aware. The goal is to be serious and attentive. When we say, for instance, in the liturgy, when we say worship God in fear and trembling, what kind of fear is that? It is not a fear that paralyzes. You know, it's not a fear that causes us to be, you know, paralyzed and unable to act and just afraid, afraid, afraid. Because when you're afraid... You don't take good action. You don't respond well when you're afraid, right? But it, it is to make us seriously realize the existence of this place and equally the existence of paradise, right? The, 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 the flip side of this, which God willing will speak about tomorrow. When 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 where it says, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So just as Hades is, in a pla is a place that is like incomprehensibly bad, paradise is also a place that is incomprehensibly good. And we place our trust in the Lord who will take us there to be with him one day. So God willing, next time we will continue um, and discuss paradise and dis discuss all of the good things that we as believers have to look forward to there. And glory be to God forever. Amen. Any comments or questions? Yes. Yes, so we do believe that both Paradise and Hades have different levels in the sense that not everyone, everyone is rewarded according to their works, right? This is what the Lord said. So not everybody whose works are the same. Some, some are will be rewarded more than others. So in, in, in Hades, not everyone will be punished the same. And in Paradise, not everyone will be rewarded the same. But I think um, when we are in Paradise, even if there is someone, for instance, who is being rewarded more than me, we will not be jealous of them, right? It is not, it is not like, uh, like here maybe on earth where someone has more and we look at them and say, oh, I wish I had this. No, because in heaven there is perfect contentment, right? 
So even though we might not receive, everyone will receive a different thing, but we will all be completely content and joyful with what it is that God has given us. And above all, just joyful that we are with the Lord and that we are with him for, for eternity. But yes, you're right. We believe in the different levels. Any other comment? Okay, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day, and we thank you for revealing to us the reality that exists, and that we will know, know, O Lord, that those of us who have done righteously, and those of us who are repentant, and those of us who struggle to overcome, we, you, you, will, you will grant to us that we would receive the kingdom of heaven, and that you will bring us to live with you for eternity. But we also know, O Lord, that you have revealed to us that for those who do not choose to live this life and to choose this way, that there is reserved for them torment in Hades. We ask and pray, O Lord, that you do not deliver us there by any means, but you lift up our souls to you, and that if there is anything in our lives now, that you would take care of it now, that you would deal with it now, that you would correct it now, even if that means pain and struggle, even if whatever it might entail for you, O Lord, to correct these things in us, now here while we are still on the earth so that we would never endure the kind of pain and suffering that is reserved for those who have abandoned you, for those who reject you in Hades. We thank you, O God, because you are merciful and good and kind and that you respond to our prayers and our sincere desire. We sincerely ask you, O Lord, to grant us, O Lord, the desires of our heart, to grant us that we would live with you for eternity and that we would be joyful, O Lord, at all times with your presence. Help us to live a life that is always focused on this end that we would not be distracted, that we would not waste our time in futile and vain things, that we would lead a life that is pleasing to you at all times, and that we would share, O Lord, this conviction with all those that we meet. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, and the communion and the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you.